0: Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best
1: guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation? Uh, Welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And as if it were not enough, that we are bringing you hours upon hours upon hours of uh, streaming live trial footage helmed by the great Tim Jansen. Tim, thank you so much. My pleasure.
2: How's it been, Tim, running the show? Um, It's good, Um, especially when we get breaks. It's good to do commentary, and sometimes you don't get a break, and there's a long lag period where people are asking like a thousand questions, but I can't interrupt to answer them. But they are some good questions. So, good. Um, well, you're,
1: the, I don't want to use this term loosely, but you're the new maestro. You're the new Charlie Adelson. Uh, I'm sure when I come back on Monday, uh, no one will want me. So, just a quick note off the top. First of all, you've got the best, best guess that there are for this. Secondly, uh, the COE got me the equivalent of a Fisher Price starters kit. Um, we're too big for that. Um, I have read her The Riot Act, but she's my wife, so I can't read it uh, too loudly. But when I get back, we're going to figure out a whole new way to be live on the road because we're going to be covering more and more trials. But for now, uh, we have to make do. Once again, we are coming to you live from Tallahassee, Florida, from the law offices of Jansen and Davis. And as if Tim were not a nice enough guy, I just met. Ryan Davis, look at this. The COE is here in the flesh, and she just heard me say that this is a uh, Fisher-Price operation only on the road. Back in Miami Beach, we've got our global headquarters and Studio 1K, not to be confused with 1A at the Today Show, and that is for my lovely mom, Carmela. Got donuts, big into this case. She is commenting, look at Tim doing uh, big time uh, overtime. Uh, we're going to get right into this um let me just introduce the best guest obviously tim jansen uh who's still healing some bruised ribs he is from his home office
2: uh, broken has, ribs broken ribs Not broken ribs.
1: Ribs. do not be confused not bruised broken ribs and i saw the bruising um by the way there's a funny story about our next guest monica jordan a private investigator in the t- in, uh, Tallahassee tallahassee area she went and helped him at the hospital. That's how good uh, friends they are. And Tim, you told me the story. She said, "Tim, those ribs better be broken, otherwise you're a giant p-word, and I won't, I won't have you have that rhyme. They'll just use their imagination."
2: Thankfully, they were broken.
1: <laughs> My <laughs> problem. <laughs> and then the best, best guest of the day. We've got Stephen Webster here. If he looks familiar, it's because he just testified at the Charlie Adelson trial, and we're gonna uh talk to him all about this. Uh, Stephen Webster was in fact Dan Markell's divorce attorney, even though Dan himself was a lawyer. Um, let's just start right there because I think people are gonna be curious about it. Uh, Steve, in retrospect, nine years later, how surreal is it that you were representing him from a legal perspective this Harvard-trained lawyer? It was, it really was unbelievable.
3: A good friend of mine, Tor Friedman, called me and said that he had a case for me. I just started my firm. And, you know, you start a new firm, you're pretty nervous about it and how, whether you're going to sink or swim. And so Tor said, I've got a case for you. And at that point, everybody knew I was hungry. So I said, OK. And he said, your client's going to be a law professor. And I was like, OK. You know, that's definitely unexpected. And, uh, you know, I met Dan and really liked him. And,
1: but it was unbelievable to be representing him, smart as he was. And right here is a comment, and this is why I moved closer and I'm in a different position. But I said, oh, well, you know what? I don't make classes. That's why I can't read even more than normally. Uh, Julia Nielsen says, go Stephen, Webster, uh, go Stephen Webster had so many in tears about how much uh, Dan loved his kids. Um, not to be confused with uh, Wendy Adelson, who said that her kids give their father a kiss every night. And I've talked about that with a few people close to the family, and uh, they question whether or not the kids actually do that but that's a whole different story so um over here uh roll thomas friend of the show broken ribs are very painful yikes Uh, all you have to do is ask tim jansen about that so monica jordan um just your overall take on this by the way monica uh was helping prepare luis rivera for this trial how was that
4: easy he's always tells the truth he's done this. This is his fourth, or third time doing it. He's always been the star of the show. He broke the case, um, and he's—it's always easy to prepare a witness for testimony when you know they're telling the truth.
1: You know, one of the craziest things about this is, again, you have Wendy Adelson up there, and almost everyone—and look, there's some bias, obviously anti-Adelson bias at this point, especially among STS Nation. But and, me. and yeah, yeah, we'll get to that in a moment um for sure but what's so interesting you've got this her and i went to the same college Randish university she's an attorney she's this fairly well educated person seemingly smart not very credible then you have Luis rivera on the stand and ryan fitzpatrick who happened to say i thought he was one of the best witnesses um and then comes louise rivera and i thought like you said, I mean, I thought he was just being as honest as could be. I, I believed every word he was saying. Um and Tim was telling me something interesting, Monica. He said that Rashbram had to be really careful with Austin mm-hmm. because of the Black King and uh needs to be respectful, which I thought Rashbram was. But how did he point above and beyond being truthful? How do you think he uh you know held himself up differently?
4: he does great, he doesn't he, he understands the game and he's, he's really in control of his emotions and he is frustrated. He's, he's frustrated that he got lumped into something because initially they were told something very different. And that was, you know, to get these children away from his father and he originally didn't want to be a part of this. He wanted to rob Wendy. He was like, this is the stupidest idea any of y'all could come up with. Let's just rob her. And, uh, and he has said that from the beginning, but I don't think uh, he, he, he's not going to embarrass himself on national TV and in front of a jury and a courtroom of people, especially when he has seen this movie three times before and, and get emotional and get flapped by a guy that is juggling his own chainsaws and trying to keep all the evidence straight. I mean, a defense attorney in that situation, Tim and Steven both know that, you know, they've got a lot of moving parts in trial and Although Lewis is not an educated man, he is not an idiot.
1: Certainly not, a hundred percent not. And uh, street smarts, as far as I'm concerned, go a long way. People are going to send some email saying he helped orchestrate this hit. That is true. He's convicted. He is spending his time right now. Uh, but you got to allow a person at some point to try to redeem them, you know, themselves. And I think hopefully he might be on the path uh, to doing that. But either which way you slice it, I think he came across as uh, Tim Jansen, to you. And by the way, i got to take a moment here. So one of the other big trials, this, of course, is the original true crime story for Surviving the Survivor uh, that that brought us into true crime. We covered Alec Murdoch. South Carolinians are great. But i got to say, uh, Tallahassee Hospitality, uh, this is true Southern hospitality. Tim welcomed me with open arms and uh, Meve Moen, uh, who's out there schmoozing. By the way, Ruth Markell, she can't come on camera. I don't think she might come to the way love, but she's going to be here signing some books. Uh, the people of the Tallahassee community are actually coming to Tim's office here uh, to get books signed by her and show their support. But Tim opened his arms. Welcome. welcomed us in. Monica, who I've met in person for about 30 seconds, I can tell, will be friends for a very long time. Stephen Webster, great guy. So Tallahassee's got something uh, special in the water. But Tim Jansen um, overall uh, take. On today's testimony, of course, we started to hear the Dolce Vita tapes. Uh, that was the last part of the day. Um, broad, broadly speaking, is Charlie Cook now that he's speaking in his own words?
2: Yeah, the the FBI bump two years after the murder was not really moving anywhere. They got the Title Three wire. They get the bump. They go to Donna. Donna doesn't go to the police. She calls Charlie, and during those calls with Charlie. Some really damaging information. She's not like not saying what it's about. And then Dan- uh, Charlie says, Well, who does it involve? And she says, Probably the two of us. Probably the two of us. Very damaging. She calls Charlie multiple times. He says, Don't talk in the apartment. They go, Okay, we'll walk on the beach and they meet at the beach. He starts calling um, Katie Magbanawa. And then they have the Dolce Vide. So when the FBI wanted a bump to get action, they got every co-conspirator acting, talking, and they got the tapes. I mean, it was, that's why they used a bump. It's an incredible technique. And I think it's devastating to the defense.
1: Uh, Steven, you're an attorney. Uh, you agree with Tim right now? Yes. I, um,
3: I didn't even catch that about the two of us him i haven't i really haven't had an opportunity to watch much of the trial you know it was under subpoena and that kind of stuff right um but yeah i mean i feel like all of the records all of the financial records the you know the sudden shift in, you know now he's being extorted you know and, and frankly his defense attorney stands up and look i'm not trying to, to disparage the guy he's he doesn't have much to work with in my opinion he's doing the best he can do but He has to be careful, you know, impeaches Jeff Lacoste by saying, so Wendy told you that her brother was looking into hiring a hitman and you didn't go to the police? You didn't go in October? You didn't go in November? You didn't go in December? And then he's like, because you were scared, that's why? And then meanwhile, their whole theory of
1: defense is, he didn't go to the police because he was even though he's being extorted because he was scared. Yeah. So. And, yeah and Tim and I have talked about that. And that's a really like salient point. Do you think uh, Georgia wraps around in closing arguments and brings that up? Is that a given? <laughs> that's a given. That's a <laughs> given. That's a given. Um, it's so fascinating to me because I, you know, I've been to cover trials, but not extensively this way. And just to see sort of the gamesmanship and the strategy is next level, uh, watching it in person, having, covered this case for, for a really long time. Uh, there's a question here uh, for Stephen Webster. Was Dan ever really planning to move to South Florida like Wendy claimed? It's a total lie. It's, it's just a blatant lie. Um, we've got John Steinbeck, brother of Carl Steinbeck. Come on in, John. Uh, come on in, John. Pull up a chair. Hopefully, we can fit you in this little tiny space. Pull up that chair. Uh, this is Carl Steinbrick's brother, John Steinbeck of uh, Jury Trial Mentor. Uh, again, please do that. Um, by the way, that was a big issue in court today. Um, slide all the way over. There, go. there we and, go. That's uh, seen,
2: I've seen him in court every day. There you right go. You right go.
1: Front. Yep. John has been in court every single day, and uh. The COE, this is embarrassing. We have one microphone and this ridiculous setup, but we're going to fix it for the next time we're on the road. In fairness to the COE, I've got like two separate uh, kits out there, but uh can't seem to figure out. I'm the kind of guy that I've got to call someone to change a, a light fixture in the bathroom. We've actually been sitting in a, our bathroom has been dark for like three months just because I can't deal with the screws up there that I have to deal with. So uh, this comment right now – this guy's in Tallahassee. I'm go uh Tim is the GOAT, uh, greatest of all time. John Steinbeck, you just came in. I'm happy you're joining us. Um, what's it like for you to have sat through every day of testimony so far?
5: I'm glad I came. First of all, I could have easily stayed back behind. I've got the time off of my work, but I decided to come out here and be uh, in the gallery and see the, the, the people, the, uh, the witnesses live, and actually see, you know, from the defendant so close for me, and just, it reminds you of the depravity and the amount of evil that happened. And that's why we're in this courtroom um, here at Tallahassee. Um, I'm really impressed with the jurors. I see it. I look at them all and there's never a time where one's you know, showing disinterest or boredom, uh, they seem very engaged. And times, because obviously we know this case a lot better than the jurors. The one the, you know, when those red flags, well, this is a huge piece of evidence. Uh, against Charlie I look at them to see their reactions which you can't do obviously if you're watching it uh, on, on many live streams. so on the big points uh, their heads go down I call it heads down no, 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 no. and I see them writing and taking notes and you know people say yeah there's there's always a chance of a hung jury yeah every trial you have a chance. But as a prosecution, you should go after them, and they're doing a great job, I think, the prosecutors in this case. If you follow my brother who's following this, uh, he live-streamed like a maniac today, I think, for nine hours. (laughs) Yeah, and that's, of course, Carl Steinbeck, who's joined us over and
1: over, a jury trial mentor. Uh, He, of course, did the 100-plus reasons why Wendy Adelson should be indicted. The other half of that equation is John Steinbeck. John and I, of course, the two non-lawyers, I guess that includes Monica as well, but um, COE, if you can bring up the comments, that would be super helpful. Um, Sally Vitello uh, has become a YouTube member, so thank you so much. Of course, it is Halloween, so happy Halloween, and uh, kids are out trick-or-treating, including mine, but uh, hopefully the COE will be on here. Robert Wilson, a new YouTube member. Dars Face, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, became a YouTube member. Look at all these YouTube members. Celeste Shanahan, a new YouTube member. Thank you. Super sticker from Jen DiSimio. Uh, Thank you for that. So back to Stephen Webster. So Stephen brings a perspective that none of us really have, which is he knew Dan Markell leading up to these murders. Um, you sort of explained the story that someone brought your name, you were new in your practice, Tell me about your first meeting with Dan. What were your initial, um, you know, your initial kind of gut reaction to the type of person he was?
3: Well, you know, as I testified, I read all the papers the night before. And if you read the papers, it was, you know, it didn't leave the best taste in your mouth. You know, it certainly seemed like this was going to be just kind of pretentious and, you know, a little bit self-important. And kind of petty, you know, and I just, it, but I wanted to meet with him. My friend referred him. So, you know, I, I had kind of low expectations going in and almost immediately I was taken by how real he was and just how normal he was, you know, I mean, the guys, you know, if, in this field, you meet people that are truly brilliant every now and then. And oftentimes they're eccentric or weird or quirky, you know, the, the really bright people sometimes are. And he really wasn't. I mean, he was, Funny and down to
1: earth and you know, and, and pretty humble. You know, did you know his background? Did you know that he had gone to Harvard undergrad, Harvard graduate school, that he was this up and coming legal scholar at on FSU was on this tenure track at just age forties, which is really
3: you know, I didn't know the full extent of it. I had a you know, that's somewhat of an idea. I went to FSU Law School and I knew that Dean Markel, the former dean there, he tried to bring in the best and the brightest to to teach there because it was so important for the law school ranking. So I figured he probably was a hot shot. You know, most of the younger professors like that there at FSU are, you know, it's going to be a springboard for most of them to go to a much more prestigious law school. But I didn't know his full educational background and credentials, and obviously I figured that out later. Mm -hmm. But talking to him, it
1: didn't take long to figure out just how exceptionally bright he was. Uh, Tim, I don't want to forget about you because you're on the remote
3: uh,
1: uh, shot here. But... um, Ala freaking Bama. There you go. That makes sense. STS. Thank you. A, a big super super sticker here. We appreciate it for all that you do, Joel, Carm, Steve, and the COE. Uh, an impressive panel today, Mr. Webster. Here's a question: What evidence is there that Wendy committed fraud on the court? Was there a strong case Dan would have been granted custody? I don't. I don't think it would have turned into custody there. But I had absolutely
3: no doubt that we were going to win on the fraud. We were going to be able to prove she committed a fraud on the court. Um, so there, first of all, there were the assets. You know, Dan referred to it as a Pearl Harbor style divorce. He comes home from out of town and the whole entire house is cleared out except for some divorce papers. And she never declared all of the assets that she just took upon herself to, to remove from the house. Um, she also had two bank accounts and I know there was a TIAA CREF account where she had $50,000 in it and Dan knew about it and she was kind of waiting for her to disclose it and she never did. And, you know, I think he kind of referred to it as his poison pill, knowing that if things ever went wrong, that he would have that as leverage and by wrong, what Dan cared about. And this is the most important message that I can possibly convey. He cared about the kids. And that was it. He wanted to be with his children. He wanted to have a healthy relationship with his children. And like I testified about the alienation, that was definitely his big primary concern. But there was also a Holocaust diamond that I believe his uncle had smuggled out of some sort of concentration camp. I'm not exactly sure which one. And then he had bequeathed it to Dan to use as the marital ring with Wendy. And so when, you know, they split it, I think, you know, she told Dan she would return it. And I think any decent human being would expect that she would. And she didn't. And he was kind of, I think he would have probably let that slide. But by the time we were going to court, that was kind of the two big issues we were going to fight on was the alienation, the failure to disclose, all of that, the TIA CREF account. There's another brokerage account, all of the assets that she took, she never disclosed, and the diamond. And he really wanted
1: the diamond back. And, and where is the diamond today? It's like, I just finished a book. My mother's a Holocaust survivor that's going through the edit process right now. I would not get handled. handle that. would be something that would drive me absolutely crazy. I've seen the burden on Ruth's shoulders this week. She looks like she's taking a toll on her. Uh, she's going to be here, like I said, in about 10 minutes. Um, but do we know where the diamond is? No. And I think, you know, it
3: really does speak to his greats, Dan's greats, right? Because you just said exactly how I think I would feel if I had been in his shoes at that time. You know, that is something so personal to the family. I mean, is there a bigger violation that you could possibly inflict on somebody than to take something like that, you know, and deprive a family of that property? So, and the fact that Dan wasn't livid irate about that before, but that's what was so remarkable to me. It was those kind of things when I got in there and met him, I was like, wait, a minute. this guy is not at all the guy that she and, you know, was certainly trying to portray him to be. And I was confident we were going to obliterate of court. And, you know, Judge Sertrum was going to be our judge. And I know the Tim and I know Monica are sitting here and you're never going to outsmart that man. So I knew I didn't really have to do much. All I had to do was not get in the way. And he was going to see the truth and I knew the truth was going to out.
1: Well, we lucked out with some really great best guests today. That's why it helps to be um, on location for a trial. Eric Winomo has a super sticker here to the young lady at the table uh, who worked with Luis Rivera. Even though he was a gang member and career criminal, do you find him likable?
4: Yes. Because I was able to develop a relationship with him uh, professionally, it was through those discussions that I basically was able to get him to take a plea. This went against everything in this guy's by, uh, in the criminal defense world, we see this all the time, this guy, this guy was high ranking in his, what he considers his family, other people consider it a gang, uh, which it is, the Latin Kings, the, the notorious gang. But the, I said this earlier, the fact that he was willing to come forward and actually take a plea and go against everything that he knew from the time he was 13, Fathered his first child as a 13-year-old, so he really has been through his own life of trauma. That changed the entire complexion of this case. Absolutely. Had it not been for Luis Rivera and his lawyers, David and Chuck Collins, securing that plea, because if the plea had not been good enough, he wouldn't have done it. And and we would have taken our chances. We would have demanded Speedy. We may have won. Had we won, none of us would be sitting here on this case today, because none of the other cases would have probably gone forward
1: and i can barely bother in my 50s so i don't know if he was doing it at 13. well i
4: didn't say he was doing it well yeah as, <laughs> as he as he's grown and aged he he actually um that would have been the spot to go after him if the defense attorney wanted to get a reaction say something about those children and he would you would have gotten it a-
1: yeah one thing that i think is important um just on the record so people at SCS nations i know some people are going to say why is stephen webster a guy who gave witness testimony in an ongoing trial why is he sitting here talking um you know ruth markell is not going to be called and she doesn't want to talk which is obviously something i even encourage her not to if she wanted to but uh stephen for the people watching why are you able to sit here right now and speak
3: well they released me for my subpoena and frankly, I, I sat around for 70 years not speaking because I never wanted to say anything or do anything that could get in the way and mess something up. And I didn't want, you know, my memories to somehow cloud some testimony or conflict with anything. So I sat quietly by and it's really gnawed at me. This has really gnawed at me for a long time. And, you know, it, it's just the ultimate kind of betrayal to, to the children you know, to those two boys, because Dan was the, he he was such an inspirational father. I'm, it's not hyperbole. I'm not, you know, it's not false flattery because he's not here with us. It's the honest truth. He inspired me to be a better father when I remember I would call him if he was with the boys, he would say, I'm with the boys, I can't talk right now. But I mean, he made them absolutely the most, you know, the, the paramount concern of every second of every day. And so I really hope and I pray and that one day those children will watch something like this and they will hear the truth that I doubt they've heard for the past almost 10 years that Dan was an amazing man and an incredible father and he loved them more than anything. He never would have taken a million bucks. He wouldn't have taken a hundred million bucks to trade out for them. And shame on these people who even after killing him can find a way to somehow, Disparage him, and so it's really you know why I'm here.
1: Stephen, uh, uh, you're such an interesting guest to have. So I have a follow-up question: Do you have any doubt at all that the Adelsons, number one, are responsible for this? Number two, do you think Wendy knew about it? So if you if you will indulge me, yes. So
3: I when Dan came to me, he was like, "Look, we're, it's going to be hot. It's going to be this radioactive. We're going to try. You know, we're going." To, so what my, you know, the, the strategy was, we were going to send requests for admissions to her, that she was going to have to admit that she either committed fraud on the financial statements or committed another act of fraud and deny it. and I was going to make her double down on it. So I prepared them on a, a Friday before I met with, with her attorney, Jimmy Judkins, who was, you know, kind of a, a rock star here in the local okay. legal community. And I've worked with Jimmy behind the scenes on other cases and stuff like that. But in court, and Jimmy's like, oh, shucks. and Golly gee, you know, and he has a like Southern charm. But in, in the office, he's not that way at all. And um, so I set up a meeting with him the Friday before. And basically, I just went and said, look, Jimmy, I, you know, where we're headed. You know what I'm going to do, what you're going to do. And there are kids here, both of their parents are, you know, lawyers, they could lose their law license, you know, just, you know theoretically, at least. There's some way we can resolve this. I want to try to resolve it. He's like, all shucks in me and that kind of stuff. So I was like, all right, my conscience is clear. I'm leaving. Got to the door and he said, Stephen. And I had the doorknob in my hand to turn around. And he said, I know what you're trying to do. I appreciate it. I said, okay. Jimmy, we can work it out good. We can't, we can't. So I said, but I'm filing the next Friday at five. I'm going to file what I'm going to file once I do the genies out of the bottle. So my son was playing in a baseball tournament in Memphis, Tennessee. And I was, staying overnight in hoover alabama and dan called me at eight in the morning and my wife was in the shower and our children were jumping from bed to bed to bed and so i said dan i can't talk right now and he said okay well I'll, i said let me let me call you back at 10 by then i'll have the kids fed they'll be watching the movie in the car we'll be gone. so right before 10 my wife said i need a new bra I was like, okay, that's random. <laughs> and uh, she's like, find them all so that we can go. So I found them all 15 minutes away. I said, that's actually perfect because, you know, you can be in the mall and take the kids and I'll sit get on the phone with Dan and we'll do our business. So I called Dan, I think it was, I guess, 11, 18 is when I called him. So he'd just been shot and I didn't know, obviously. So he didn't call me back and I thought it was weird and I was concerned at first that maybe he was having cold feet, you know? And I just told this other lawyer I'm doing this next Friday. So I was kind of a little bit perturbed. So it was about three hours later and um, a police officer, I know, I had restored my phone. She called me. And so I just answered the phone. and I said, hey, Annie, how you doing? I knew she was in violent crimes. And I'd actually told Dan that I didn't want him to be around Wendy anymore. I said, I know sometimes you're around her. I said, I'm worried she's going to say you slapped her or punched her. Do something like that. You know how that, you know, the drill. and then use that for, to try to gain a tactical advantage in the litigation. I said, if I find out you're hanging around with her, I'm going to withdraw. I'm not going to you know, stick around. So, Annie, answered, I answered the phone and I said, Hey, Annie, you know, how you doing? And she said, How do you know Dan Marquette? And I, I remember where I was. I was in a hotel lobby. And I said, uh, He's my, he's my client. Why? And then she said, um, I said, and then, and then like the tumbler started to fall into place in my brain. And I was like, wait a minute, she's in violent crimes. He's, she's accused him of doing something. I said, he's my client. I want to talk to him right now. She said, you can't. I said, he is my client. I want to talk to him right now. And she said, you can't. Something really bad is, and as weird as it is, when she said something really bad has happened, I knew. And I, as Prosperous as it is, I never in a million years thought that would, you know would happen. But as soon as she said it, I was—I like, thought was in my brain. I said they killed him. And yeah. I can't believe it. So for
1: nine years, that's kind of what I've been carrying around. I just got to chill from that story. Wow. 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 So it—it it didn't even register in your mind that you could have been killed. Like you thought yeah. it was something totally, you know, obviously much more benign. Yeah.
3: But when she said something really bad, she said I'm going to forget. She said something really bad is happened. And I don't know why, but I knew in that moment that he had been killed and I knew they had killed him. So, do I think they're guilty? Yes. Do I think Wendy knows? I, I did do it. Do I think she knew? I think she knew she was packed and gone. I mean, a week later, um, a, a pediatrician down in South Florida was calling my office asking for my consent as the power of attorney for Dan Markell for her to change the pediatrician. And so I, I get this phone call, I'm like, what is going on? You know? and. Um, so the little young lady on the phone, she's like, we just need to get your... I said, look, I don't think I even have that authority to offer. I said, but if the kids are... in, If they're hurt or sick, you have my blessing. I'll deal with the consequences later. She said, no, it's not that. The mother just wants to change their primary. And it hadn't been like a week.
1: So, I mean, she had moved, gone. Do you, you think... Uh, I don't want to use the word mastermind, but do you think that Wendy manipulated donna and charlie into doing this for her because she always plays that you know innocent victim card or do you think it was orchestrated by donna if you had a guess, i don't i know
3: we don't yeah i I mean it's hard for me to guess on that i mean my just my feeling is that you know donna maybe you know i don't know that wendy was driving the train originally but i i believe personally that she knew that 18 minute phone call to charlie it wasn't about a television and whether or not Charlie's Geek Squad skills were going to be put to the test as to whether or not, you know, she should repair or replace the TV. You know, I have no doubt in my mind that that was the final. It's go time. Is it still on? And she said yes. Wow. Uh, There's
1: a question for Tim here from uh, Wesley John Holmes, an Australian living in Tokyo, a friend of the show. Question for Tim.
0: Does
1: this put a little bit more pressure on Jack Campbell to proceed with more charges against the Adelsons with how this is all playing out? Yeah.
2: I think, first of all, we got to get a conviction against Charlie. I think the state attorney then wants to interview these jurors to see what they thought about the credibility of Catherine Magbanawa, see how they felt about her. I clearly think they have enough to charge Donna. Donna with making the payments. Magbanawa said, I never worked there. Her making the statement, it's about the two of us. I think there's enough to charge Donna. Uh, And I think that comment by Donna that says it's about the two of us kind of buttresses and protects Wendy, gives her a natural defense that it was Charlie and Donna that orchestrated this. So I think Donna should be worried.
1: Yeah, Um, we'll get back to Donna in a moment. The super sticker for Tim from Southern Mom. Uh, Tim Jansen provided excellent commentary today. Thank you so much for your perspective. That's why I've got Tim Jansen in there. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I said, should I bring Monica in? And Tim said, no way. I want to be the only guy. I want to be the only star of the show. So I didn't ask Monica. Um, John Steinbeck, we got a comment from you uh, about you. Uh, People want to know who you are. What do you do? Why would you be at this trial? Why are you
5: interested in this uh, if you're not an attorney? Uh, Because uh, I wrote a book about parental alienation called Brainwashing Children. It's what happened. To my son and myself, years ago, I was able to restore our relationship. Today, we have a healthy relationship. He's 23, and being that I've been following this topic for many years, and parental alienation basically is one parent, typically in a separation or divorce, poisons the other as leverage and basically tries to wipe out that parent. Uh, from my familiar, by the way, and that's what happened to me. So when I say when I saw that story come across, I think it's Daily Mail. It resonated with me because of the similarities that happened to me. And as I tell, told Ruth uh, this week, the main difference between myself and Dan Marquette was that I'm still living. Yeah. Um, and I, I have the had a feeling that had a potential to do that as well. So that's why this case resonated with me. And then I was bothered by the fact that it was taking so long. Like, wait a minute, this happened uh, seven years ago when I joined the case. And my brother, and that's why he's on the case, he's on this case for one main reason which is the duration of the case. He tells me that had you not told me the case, when Carl joined it, it was last year, so it was eight years in. Had it not been that duration factor, he's just like scratching his head and going, how the heck can this be eight years in? And they still haven't gone after. And Then he did a deep dive into all the evidence against everybody and that's when Carl got brought in by his own volition. He surprised me one day we're sitting around like Carl, how do you know so much about this case? He's retired now from the military, so we had the time to do it. So that's why, and we start talking brother to brother. I said, "Okay, Carl, we got to sit down and record you on camera because your take on this is brilliant." And it was—it's more of a forceful, I guess, uh, take. And he's—he's uh, he's very, very disturbed by the duration of this case. But uh, now he's uh, commenting on every day. Just go to jury trial mentor. So that's how I. Get. Jury trial mentor is the
1: channel, of course, uh, Carl and uh, Tim Jansen. And the other, uh, the third musketeer in that group is uh, John Singer, who's been texting me throughout proceedings. Uh, it's interesting. I, I feel like there's a different perspective watching it at home. Uh, John um, sort of thought that the line of questioning uh, yesterday with Katie McBanawa really was not good for the state. But in the courtroom, it felt good. Um, I don't know if you caught that. I didn't get to watch much of it. Okay. Uh, Plenty else to talk about. There's a question here for the great Monica Jordan. Can't believe I'm in her presence. It's unbelievable. Michael Faraday, this is a super sticker from overseas, because I see what looks like a pound sign. Um, Is the panel, Monica Jordan, convinced that Wendy visited the scene after the murder and possibly relayed the information to Charlie via WhatsApp. Uh, shout out to Fancy Fiction and uh, some of the others here. Uh, Katie Lady, who was on the show last night, she kind of drove the route, and it doesn't seem like a logical route to have taken for Wendy. What do you think?
4: Well, I believe she was there. I absolutely believe that happens. Louis Rivera has said from day one, that lady, that lady, because he never knew her name, that lady, we saw her, and Whenever we would do coffers and debrief and meet with the government, meet with the state attorney investigator in Georgia, and there's a couple other assistant state attorneys on it, but no one really believed them. And then there was a day that Jason Newland, the state attorney investigator, and I came across something that made all the pieces match, and we were like, holy shit, he really did see her that day and then later we find out that she's like oh my gosh I got lost going to the liquor store I ended up on Tresca right next to Dan's house and it's like so this is why I always go back to Lewis. like Louis is your star because he fed information to the government that we never would have known and and they never would have known to have asked him so I absolutely believe I trust Lewis when he says he's saw now
1: and uh the great me of moan has told me that uh ruth markell has entered the building she's uh, here obviously her book the unveiling is all about this case uh she's gonna get mad at me she's in this room not ruth markell but there are a lot of uh people really doing a lot of work behind the scenes one of them is karen halpern cyphers and she is uh here she has probably been the biggest uh help to ruth markell of anyone so uh a special thanks uh you know Special thank you to her um, for just being here and supporting the whole crew. Uh, There was an interesting moment in court today, John Steinbeck. Actually, Tim, let me go to you. I keep forgetting that you're here. You're sitting in your house with broken ribs. But this was interesting to me. There was kind of some some high drama early on. Uh, A juror basically stopped proceedings today, and I'll talk about this juror in a moment. I could see out of the corner of my eye. I had a great vantage point. Ah, uh, this particular juror raised his hand and said that he had to, that he wanted to speak to the bailiff privately outside. So they halted proceedings. Now, this particular juror has been interesting to me because uh, he's sort of the one juror, and John will have you weigh in on this as well, making sort of odd faces. I can't tell if it's a smirk or a smile, and it's usually when Daniel Rashbaum is speaking. Everyone else just seems to be pretty stoical except for this one particular juror. He's the one that raised his hand. And what it turned out uh, was that some women behind me were speaking and they were actually uh, being distracting to me. So I couldn't imagine it as a uh, juror. Tim, how commonplace is something like this to just halt proceedings? What does it do for the flow of the state of defense?
2: Well, you know, the bailiffs in the courtroom or each judge has bailiffs watching So no one is making gestures, no one's nodding their heads, trying to affect the jury or trying to intimidate the witness. That happens in every trial. Uh, My understanding was three women were talking, one has bad hearing, the other is a retired cardiologist and the one is a very wealthy, wealthy uh, advertising executive. And the third person was there, used to work in my office, she texted me and said, I'm getting out of here. I don't want to be a part of any of this nonsense. So and then you had that terrible incident where someone's phone went off twice and then the next phone went off and it was Ruth Markell and the judge made Ruth leave. Um, and I think they, the prosecutors went to try to tell a judge who it was, but he had to, he had to enforce his rules. And I saw Ruth came back in. Um, they don't normally allow it. I think Steve will tell you, if Judge Hankinson was on the bench, those people would have either been held in contempt or they would have been thrown out much earlier.
1: Mm. Uh, so, Steve, you're the uh, other attorney here. Uh, usually we're all attorneys except for me, but this is not the case this time. The question on the screen from John, I think I'm losing vision at a very bad pace. I might need an ophthalmologist, not a cardiologist. Do uh, you think they would arrest Donna during this trial, question mark? Steve, do you think there's any chance um, that they would ever do that without getting a conviction first?
3: I, I don't think it's likely. You know, I mean, you can see, look, I, as much as anybody, I wish this thing could have <laughs> come in seven years ago. But the little bit that I've been able to watch now that I was released from my subpoena, I am awestruck that the dogged determination of the FBI and you know, the, the Tallahassee Police Department and the State Attorney's Office and the State Attorney's Investigators, I mean, I'm hearing all these phone calls, and George is referencing, this is phone call 2289, I'm thinking to myself, people are out there listening to, and they have been for years, the thousands and thousands of phone calls, so all hands are on deck right now, like Tim said, to get this conviction of Charlie, I mean, a guy can dream, you know, I mean, I could dream right now that that's happening, but I don't believe it'll happen until
1: after. So just to be clear, though, let's here. Charlie is convicted in a few days. Do you think after that, Donna would be next? And if so, eventually how soon?
3: I mean, I think that the state would probably need to take a breath, like Tim said, talk to and, you know, talk to interview jurors, kind of go back and really kind of roundtable, you know, what if anything new came to light during this proceeding in particular. And I mean, I think, you know, you're probably looking at best case scenario, two, three months, you know, after the conviction, going to a grand jury, you know, it could happen faster. Maybe they're ready to roll, but I mean, you know, they've been deliberate in every step of this process and it's paying dividends now. I mean, there's no two ways about it for me. You know, I mean, I, you know, i wanted this justice seven years ago. Monica said, you know, They had to to play with the cards they had. And they only had Luis. You know, he was the only one that was willing to to step up. And, you know, kudos to Monica and the attorneys because they look like geniuses right now compared to a woman who turned down full immunity to hear that jail cell, you know, playing behind her. So,
1: So. by by the way, McSpunky, super generous. He just uh, gifted another Surviving the Survivor uh, YouTube membership. I appreciate that um someone here says i just lost a comment so i'm not going to read it i'm reaching over here we've got this cockamamie setup but uh it's obvious donna is unstable why is she trusted with children uh, stephen webster that is a question for you um you know i have to say i very briefly met uh Bill Markell, or, you know i've known ruth but i met phil in passing very quiet um, sort of understated guy but i understand why Dan is the father that you described him as, because if Bill Markel was his father, which he obviously was, he uh, created a, a wonderful human being to uh, to, to raise him. And uh, we're getting visitors. Kathy Monkman-Hyam has just entered the uh, law office, as has Judy saying. Uh, Judy is going to come switch out with John Steinbeck as we continue to talk about what we saw in court. Tim Jansen the waving hello. Judy! She's in your office, Tim. I'm sorry, I'm not there, Judy. Oh,
0: thanks for hosting us. I got a (laughs) ball of (laughs) your water.
1: Judy, you know, you just landed on a flight from North Carolina. What are your impressions? You've been watching it on uh, the television, on the YouTube.
0: YouTube. Uh, What
1: are your impressions so far? Is the state winning this case?
0: I think so. I'm very biased, of course, Mm -hmm. but I think they've been doing a really great job today. With all those hard
1: taps and the bones. Yeah, and I've got to say, you know, STS Nation is a true crime community. I say best guess, better community, but the issue is that there is a, to use the phrase that everyone is using these days, a confirmation bias. Everyone wants the Adelsons convicted, and John alluded to this, but you always have to be concerned are the jurors seeing what we're seeing? Is that true, Monica? You just never know.
4: I I struggle with this all the time because they're hearing it for the very first time. And so when I'm sitting through a trial, and and Tim knows this as well, we've we've seen this movie before, so we're not hearing it. So we're able to say, oh, that came out well, or man, this witness is really watered down. But as far as somebody that is hearing it for the first time, you It never ceases to amaze me. They get hung up on something that is so inconsequential. You know this as well. You're like, who who gives a shit that the car was burgundy? Like, who can you know? Like, they'll get hung up on the color of the car, like you know, and it have nothing to do with the facts of the case. Uh, Most times, they they get to the resolution they want, and that's you know what we're there for. But yeah, I never, I always struggle with that issue of whether. They're seeing it the same way I see it.
1: We don't have enough distractions. Is
4: that uh, that Windsor
2: yelping in the background, (laughs) Tim? It is Windsor in Georgia, yeah. Tell them to to pipe down.
1: So here's another sticker. $20 from Go Georgia. Uh, Louise seemed, this is for you, obviously, Monica. Louise seemed cognitively affected after years of drug, alcohol abuse, or nutrition in jail. Not sure how some of these jurors will hold up for two more trials. I think they meant witnesses uh, as opposed to jurors. But has his cognition been, you you know, I saw
4: him when I first walked in the room this time and I saw he looked like he had aged tremendously. And I said, oh, my gosh, are you sick? like what's wrong with you you're so thin
1: like, it's weird He look good to me looks
3: like i
4: know but he you know i've always seen him like short and uh, a little fuller yeah and so i thought holy smokes he's sick something's happened and he said no i've been working out and i was like oh no, i'm sorry this is why i'm not gonna die maybe i'll look younger and so he was he was typical you know Luis. but the it does take a toll i mean look this is the first time I call him Webster. This is the first time Webster. I call him has, too. Yeah, this is the first time that he's testified, but he's been under subpoena. How many times? Every time. Every, every trial. So it, it it takes a toll. It takes a toll on everybody involved. And the biggest toll it takes is obviously on the market. I mean, well, could you imagine?
1: Well, I got to say, uh, you guys handled him really well because he's going to see the light of day. And I've yep. been talking about this with everyone that Katie McBanawa, who, in my opinion, yeah, in my opinion, is not a horribly evil person, is going to be spending the rest of her life in prison unless there is some sort of deal. Uh, by the way, Steve, what Webster? What's the deal? I mean, she's testified now. Uh, can some deal be made, like post facto, or yes, she's done? I mean, they would have to
3: get the court's approval and the the state's approval. I mean, I have a weird thought, and Tim, I don't know what your think. Your thoughts might be on this, but. I'm guessing she could still bring a 3850. And, I mean, at this point, that's basically uh, ineffective assistance of counsel motion. Um, and I really have, I mean, I'm not trying to disparage another lawyer. I mean, I, I, I really try not to do that because it's the profession doesn't need it. But I have genuine questions as to whether or not she truly understood the gravity of the decision she was making and waiving absolute immunity um, to only come here now and say, yeah, it was all true. So, you know, you have to wonder whether or not she was fully advised of, you know, all of the different factors and scenarios and the state's evidence and the weight of the evidence. And so I don't know. I mean, that could actually, in a weird way, accrue to her benefit if it was determined that she didn't receive, you know, full effective assistance of counsel at some point that maybe it gets overturned. And at that point, then the state
1: might have the grace to cut her a different deal. Um, I, I, that's a great point. point. The Georgia Monica is- disagrees. Monica disagrees. By the way, Cheryl gave us a super sticker. Thank you, Cheryl. Go ahead, Monica.
4: I just disagree. What? Why would Georgia cut her break right now? She'd have to. She'd have to win some huge issue on a post conviction appeal to get back to the trial court level. There is nothing Georgia needs from her now. Georgia offered her the deal of a lifetime. But what
1: if Donna's arrested
4: in three weeks? Does
1: she need Katie
4: for what?
1: Come back on the witness stand. Yeah
4: maybe but i mean kate she didn't yeah she didn't katie. really need her i mean katie didn't have anything to do with that she yeah. dealt with charlie. didn't say mm-hmm. much so it's kind of like lewis was only here a little bit for fluff this time because lewis only testified to a very he didn't have any he didn't do anything with wendy he didn't do anything with charlie he dealt with katie and he never understood why sigfrido would do this for her and, and the biggest question, and we've always said this on this panel, anytime we've talked about this case, is what woman has a skill set to get her baby, the father of her children, to commit a murder for her boyfriend? Like, that is the craziest damn thing I've ever heard in my life. And then when you see her on the stand, you're like, really? All of this from that? I, don't, I, I can't wrap my head around it.
0: Yeah,
4: yeah I think
0: uh, that's how Charlie probably felt. Like,
1: yeah, he's he's like, like, the thing is really... Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. So,
1: Judy... Oh, um, Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Judy, since you're an attorney and you're here, and this is kind of the pressing question today, what is your take? Do you think that the dynamic of the trial has shifted now to where we could see an imminent arrest of Donna? Um, by the way, I asked some attorneys today, What's keeping her from playing? Her her passport hasn't been uh sort of gonna take your passport. They just one mm-hmm. seized, that's the word I am looking for. Passport hasn't been seized. People are wondering, is she gonna run? Do you think the dynamic has changed now with this testimony where she will be arrested? You think Wendy falls, you think Harvey falls? Um, well,
0: I've always thought Donna should have been arrested already, you know, even last year. But now we've seen more texts between her and Charlie. You know, this whole thing about the birthday gift and being more secretive. Um, I don't think Katie mentioning the wet money is really that useful because she was just guessing too. She wasn't sure that Donna really washed the money. I don't know. So I okay. think Donna probably is going to be arrested, but still not sure about.
1: By the way, Ruth is outside, as I said, signing copies of her book, The Unveiling. Uh, Great read. If you haven't read it, Amazon, uh, anywhere they sell books, you can pick up a copy of The uh, Unveiling. So, Tim Jansen, uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I'm bringing it up for a different reason. Again, Chris Corbett uh, was on the stand earlier um, today. Me and Moen, how many times are you going to come in and out during the live show with that creaky door? Um, the producer always ruins the show off camera. It's unbelievable. I, unbelievable. And instead of yelling at Carm, now I'm yelling at me. He's taking her place. That's what happens when you're with someone 24 hours a day for a few days. So Chris Corbett, he started on the stand today, uh, Tim Jansen. And this whole theme came up again of this birthday present. Uh, Chris Corbett is the phone analyst from TPD. But this notion that they were preparing for Hardy, Harvey Adelson's 70th birthday party in July, I believe it is. And this was kind of code for the murder of Dan Markell. Do you think that's resonating with jurors? Because they brought this theme, this phrase up over and over, this birthday present theme.
2: Well, it, it certainly looks suspicious. Um, they wanted to speak in private about the birthday gift. Uh, you notice on one question she asked Wendy Adelson, was the birthday gift, the the murder of your ex-husband. And she was that's absolutely horrible. Um, but now that you unveil this family and you look at the family, it's a very terrible family, horrible people trying to control her life, her future, her, her business. And now we know they were involved with the murder of the husband um, and the son who has a a weird relationship with his mother. It's a little too close. Um, I don't mean in a sexual way, but I mean, it just seems too. he's like, behoven to her. She won't do anything without him. He won't do anything without her. The mother uses him to get to Donna. Then they ostracize the other family member because he married outside the Jewish faith. uh, And they're paying money to someone that killed her. It's just horrible. And, When she got the the bump, it was really telling when she got the bump. She wasn't frazzled, she didn't run, she didn't call anybody, she cautiously put it in her pocket and she went on like it was nothing. Went and picked the kids up. Who would do that if you you, someone approaches you about a hit and it just normal people don't do that. It's not and common sense tells you these people are not good people.
1: And Tim Janet, I just want to take a second there as you said the bump. Um, one of the huge advantages of coming to a trial in person is we had lunch today next to Oscar Jimenez, who is the guy <laughs> agent responsible for the bump. He's retired now. Uh Monica's husband is here. Uh oh, great shopping man. Oh, and and uh The bunk man, Oscar Jimenez is here. We're going to say hello. He's not able to speak because the trial is still ongoing, but we will. Oscar
2: um, Jimenez is in the room?
1: He's in your office. Is that right? He's not in this room. He's in your office. Incredible. Uh, I just want to say that these law enforcement officers, uh, they're the ones that make all this happen. They put themselves out on the line. Uh, It's a courageous job. Kudos to your husband. Kudos to Oscar Jimenez. Uh, to me, law enforcement uh, officials, all first responders are heroes, so thank you for doing the job that they do. Um, to you, Webster, uh, Sarah Dugan got up there. The divorce file was obviously admitted into evidence, and she started to go through it. Uh, Request from April 24th, 2014, this is obviously May, June, three months ahead, use my fingers, three months ahead of uh, the murder. Dan wanted employee uh, contracts from Wendy, pay stubs, tax returns. Uh, in May, Dan tries to compel her. Uh, hearing set on motion to compel. These are notes I was taking. So there was this wave of action, legal action, if you will, preceding the murder. Uh, was it this confluence of events revolving around the divorce that you think pushed the family even further to go ahead and do this? You know, I, I feel definitely feel
3: like that's part of it, but just looking back on everything now, it certainly seems as though when Judge Hobbs denied the motion to relocate, which was appropriate, she had really no choice but to do, there was kind of a fail compli at that point because that was obviously what Donna, what drove Donna. And you know, I mean heck, um, I thought Georgia did a really good job. They saw a little bit of the bump testimony, you know, asking the FBI agent. So the kids are with Donna and they go to school literally right across the street, you know. And um, so I feel like that once Donna realized that wasn't going to happen, that all the other stuff was just kind of incidental to that. Um, but that's but it was definitely not calm and tame litigation at that point. This was apparently suggested by someone.
1: Yeah, follow up question for you. And I'm going to uh, tip it over to Judy for a minute. Uh, someone just asked a question. They say when do you perjured herself on the stand. If if that is deemed to be true, does that revoke potentially her immunity in any
3: way? Well, perjury, yeah. The immunity doesn't extend to perjury, but I can tell you, proving perjury in the state of Florida is <laughs> the next to impossible. Tim knows that. I mean, it's yeah. got to be almost a yes or no question. It has to be a material issue as well. It's very very difficult. So I wouldn't hold your breath waiting for perjury
2: charges. No, mm-hmm.
1: they're not going to do it. Tim says no, um, they,
2: they don't. Do, they don't do it even in more extreme cases. Yeah. Than this. You're
0: hearing it from two
1: Tallahassee lawyers, uh, one from North Carolina, Judy Tsang from Lady Law Sandra. She says, I believe great lawyers in this case uh, are both on the defense and prosecution side. But question to lawyers uh, on the panel, should Daniel Rashbaum Partners also be more involved, Judy? We haven't really heard much at all. Well,
0: it's not just about speaking. I'm sure Kate Myers is doing lots of who knows what, you know, taking notes, thinking of strategy, you know, coming up with new questions because you really do have to think on your feet when you're cross-examining somebody. So just because you don't really hear her talking doesn't mean she's just sitting there, you know, writing disparaging post-it notes to Charlie, as we saw in the beginning.
1: Um, so, Big thank you to Therese Gowett, uh super sticker. Who she writes. Thank you to Joel and the COE. Uh, you have the best guest and channel. Thank you very much. Uh, Van or Vaughn writes. Judy is tiny. My first time meeting Judy. She's also in a corner over there. And so, it's.
0: I don't like it when people make fun of Rashbaum <laughs> tight because I'm a very short person myself. Please not make fun of. Uh,
1: Daniel Rashbaum is. Uh, Five, six on a good day, I,
0: would oh, that's say. Not bad. I thought he was more
1: like 5'3 ever So He was actually a little bit taller than I thought. Um, Avon Strand, uh, super sticker, great coverage and honesty and commentary. Thank you. We try to do that. And then McSpunky giving away another Surviving uh, the Survivor, Survivor uh, YouTube membership. So thank you for that. Um, it is hard to believe that anyone could be pastier than Charlie Adelson, but I have just surpassed him in that. Um, department. So moving on to uh, the bump here, there's a few things that we've got to get through. Um, he posed as a Latin King. This is Oscar Jimenez who happens to be in Tim Jansen's office. They they played the video. Monica, I don't know if you watched that part of it today.
4: Uh, I've seen the
1: video before. Um, I was curious how effective you think it is for the jurors sitting in there. Uh, they played it all the way through and uh, you know, I thought it was very effective. Anytime there's video or any sort of graphic on the screen, I see the jurors leaning in. So,
4: I'm a huge believer that a video answers a lot of questions. You can have all the witnesses in the world testify, but if you put a video up, it really shows everybody what happened. The most frustrating thing is just like you found in the restaurant uh, T3s or the Title Threes recordings, and just like the bomb. If you don't have a transcript, I you know, we can put a man on the moon and talk to them, but we can't seem to get an audio recording from a restaurant It doesn't sound like they're playing the spoons and your ears have to bleed to, to hear it. And so that is so frustrating, especially in these cases when you have all these recordings. Tim and I have done big federal cases where there's thousands of hours of audio recordings. Oh. And you can't
2: yeah, but they were clear as shit. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, those no, yeah. yeah.
4: But, but yeah, today, <laughs> I think I was on one of those cases.
2: Maybe.
0: Tim, by the way,
4: because Tim, I was,
1: I was confused about this because we heard that transcript. <laughs> Tim, we heard transcripts are not going to be admitted into evidence. However, right. they are all reading transcripts today. You explained it. Please explain it to uh, SCS Nation.
2: So they marked it as a demonstrative aid. The court gave a jury instruction. You can use it or you don't have to use it. If you listen to the tape and there's a difference between this transcript and what you hear, the evidence is a tape and the tape will go back and the demonstrative aid will not. So transcripts are not normally admitted in trials because the evidence is the actual tape.
1: Uh, Uh, Harold anything but dull is a friend of the show and usually has amazing questions this is no different question for Judy and Webster they're now calling you Webster too (laughs) I've already asked Tim sitting uh, here today was it worth it Judy for the state to put Katie on the witness yes
0: yes I think so I mean ultimately she's the one that ties Charlie to this and I think she explained it very well why she didn't want to, you know, turn against Sigfrido, you know, or turn against Charlie because Sigfrido was the one facing that penalty. So it makes
1: sense. Webster?
3: I agree. Um, I didn't get to watch, you know, a, a significant portion of her testimony, but I did get to see some of uh, Mr. Roshbaum's Cross examination, and frankly, I thought, yeah, you know, I think he's doing as fine a job as I could hope to do if I were in his shoes, um, you know. But I thought she did a pretty good job, in my opinion, the way she said, yeah, I mean, like, I didn't come forward. I've been trying to, I've been trying to avoid taking responsibility for this uh, you know, for seven years, and I mean, it's just not that remarkable to me, and especially in light of all the bank wire transfers and the you know the checks and everything else. I mean, it just. To me, if you're looking past your testimonies because you're trying to find out and, and, and nobody's going to convince you otherwise.
1: So we're going to now ask the only non-attorney outside of myself, uh, Monica Jordan from Joseph Neal. Why didn't they ask Katie if Wendy was part of the plan or the conspiracy? Do you have a theory?
4: I believe because George is never going to ask a question she doesn't know the answer to. So she probably knew the answer. She knew Wendy would say dealt with katie i only dealt with charlie and so why throw that out there to kind of buddy the waters? they're trying to convict charlie just one thing i'd like to add everybody is so raced to the bottom to get to wendy there's no statute of limitations on murder we can sit here for 10 years and finally something will come forward maybe one of those children will finally come forward mm-hmm. and, and report something they overheard mommy and grandma and Uncle Charlie and Grandpa talk about, they can then come back with that new evidence and and charge her. If they charge her now and they can't get a conviction, she's done, double double jeopardy applies and they can never go back after her. So I think it's very smart for the government to sit back and wait. It has been a slow and methodical uh, way that Georgia has conducted this case and it's been very effective. She's gotten three convictions so far, one through plea, two through trials, jury trials. So why, I don't don't think she should, you're not going to hurry Georgia to do anything. Georgia is just a very methodical lawyer. She's a great strategist and I think she's done a phenomenal job here. So why would you screw it up by racing to try and indict Wendy or Donna or even the grandfather if you're not going to get a conviction?
1: There was one piece of Wendy's testimony that is stuck in my head. And that is when she said very disingenuously that, Webster, I'd like to get your take on this, Stephen, to me. Um, that every night, the boys go and kiss goodnight daddy, Danny Martell's photo. Do you think there's any credence okay. to that? I don't know if she said that. She said, she said that every night, they go and kiss daddy's photo. Night. I think blow up in her
4: face. I think that'll blow up it's it. It's a good jury. Well,
1: first, like Steve. Sorry. Looks like, I,
3: mean, that's, I, just, I just didn't think I could despise her, So... <clears throat>
1: Uh
4: Monica.
1: I'm sorry. Uh Monica, why why is it gonna blow up
4: in her face? She she secreted the children of Miami. They same began, same. they she, they the kids don't even have the same last name. And I know they say all this blah 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 about we're trying to protect the identity of the children and you didn't want all this. you brought this to the table. You killed their father. You you or your family had a, a hand in this. The the fact to now try and say to this jury, oh, this wasn't that bad of a divorce. We were going to figure this out. We were were going to co-parent. And oh my gosh, this has been so horrible. They kiss. You know what? The kids may kiss a picture of their father every night, but it's probably not at Wendy's house. Hmm. Um,
1: Steven, someone here, I'm going to get to this question on the screen in a minute. Brooklyn Stola. Can someone estimate roughly how much the Adels... Adelson spent on lawyers in the last decade? Just a loose estimate. I don't know. I think Tim. Tim, Tim Jansen, last decade, the Adelson's expenses on the 20s.
2: I think John Laurel got 250000 I think um, Dan Rossbaum got 350000 I think the jury consultant probably got two hundred and fifty to 300000 for this trial but they're asking cumulatively would well, you just have to multiply that oh, i bet the they spent over a million dollars um over the over the nine years oh i'm sure over a million dollars
1: this is another interesting question but let's go to this one is this trial monica and this has been interesting to me attracting in tallahassee the level of interest that the alec murdoch trial mm-hmm. attracted in south carolina and i have to tell you at the Alec Murdoch trial, it was a lottery basis. I know this because I work in media. You have a lineup in the morning. Same deal with the Lori Valdevalle trial, the Brian Coburger trial, which we are going to cover. It's going to be next to impossible to get the courthouse here. It's a big court, but there's not the sort of throngs of people that I thought would be here. But there's tremendous global interest. 2020 episode, another Dateline episode, another 2020, uh, the Wondery podcast. Do you think people in Tallahassee are interested, or it's just more of like a global phenomenon, and if not, why not?
4: Well, the first thing is, I, I do think there's an interest, but you have to understand, this is our third trial. So if we're not really seeing anything new. We just have a one different character this time. So there is a an interest um, as far as, you know, will Charlie get convicted and will Charlie take the stand and that kind of stuff. I think you'll, on those days, you'll, you'll see more uh, population in the courtroom. You have to understand, we've had some of the biggest trials in the Southeast. We had the Rachel Hoffman murder. We had a CI killed by a drug dealer. I worked on that case. We've had uh, a a podiatrist who was tried for killing his wife and trying to hide her in the pool. I worked on that case. Um, We have three major universities here, and we have a ton of high-end legislatures and those type people. We've had big big murder trials here. I would not say this is the biggest. The only thing is that this is, we've, we've seen this one a couple of times. That's yeah. why I think less
2: yeah. people Ted Bundy. You have Ted Bundy up here also. I, I don't was, think this is as big as Murdoch. Uh, Bundy. Yeah. Go ahead. So the reason Murdoch was so big, he was so big in that community. The family ruled that whole town. His father was in the courthouse. They had his photos up on the wall. The whole community wanted him to go down. I mean, they all had interest because they somehow were all affected by this family. This case, everybody was affected because he was a law professor. And we were shocked that it happened in Benton, a very affluent neighborhood, and the way it was done. And it is the third trial. Um, I think if Wendy gets on trial and her mother gets on trial, if Wendy goes on trial, that'll be big. That'll be big, I think, up here.
1: That would be massive. I think that would be massive, you know, nationally, internationally. People are very uh, interested to see that. Uh, Bonnie Lee Lopez, big friend of the show up in uh, Chile, Vermont. supposed to drop 20 degrees here, by the way, overnight. I'm not looking forward to that. Um, How do you feel things ended today after all the testimonies? The COE must have switched this out. Um, Is Charlie, Chaz, as she calls him, closer to the big house, Judy? Uh, were you a step closer yes. to conviction? Yes,
0: yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's very damaging. And I was just talking to Katie yes. Kathy. She was there. She said that the jurors seemed like they were, like, nodding their heads or writing more. During well, what, are,
1: what are you most interested, now that you're here in person, you're going to go to court tomorrow, what are you most interested to see in person?
0: Um, to see what Charlie looks like in person. It yeah. looks
1: pasty like me. Again, yeah, <laughs> you right there. You pasty. <laughs> um Steve to you, had Donna taken no action on the bump and never mentioned it, would we be here today? How critical is the bump?
3: I think we would still be here. I think that they with all the financial transactions and Katie not working there and everything else they had with Charlie. Personally I believe they still would have gotten there. Um, certainly makes it a lot more appetizing for the state that she did act on it and did contact him. And I heard a little bit of their their phone conversation, and it's just so artificial that that I, I like. Once again, I it, it's, it smacks of ongoing conspiracy cover up and and awful code talk. So so anyway, yeah, I I, I do think we would have gotten Charlie, but I don't believe you know. I'm still going to speak it into existence that we're going to get Donna and Wendy. And uh, so, you know, but uh, without the bump, I mean, it it certainly would be a much weaker case against Donna. I think
1: um, KCL who's out in Salt Lake city. And I just got rid of her comment because I'm a knucklehead and I don't remember it. Um, but she had an interesting uh, question. And since I'm doing this uh, solo, I'll never be able to go back and find it. Let's move on to, uh, Tim, maybe, you know, I wasn't exactly clear. So Keith McIlvain, he's the guy who enhanced the Dolce Vita tapes. Poor guy. Talked to him for a second in the elevator. He was up at four in the morning coming in from Charleston, South Carolina. And I think he was on the stand for about nine seconds, not literally, Mm -hmm. but close Mm -hmm. to that. Why did they bring um, a few people in that were, you know, witnesses back to back who, who basically didn't say much of anything? One of them, by the way. Was Lewis Bronstein who showed up at lunch with the man who acted out the bump. Uh, right. His FBI agent who raced to Dolce Vita to actually get the recording. Why does the state have? What are they doing there to establish what? Well,
2: you have to understand. In order to admit evidence in in a courtroom, it's got to be our, It's got to be relevant, and then it's got to be authenticated. They wanted to get the enhanced version by this expert who enhanced it. And if you listen to his credentials, he's done some major things for terrorism for our country um, and got a hell of a, a resume. But they needed him because he did the latest enhancement and they wanted him to play that. So they needed him to get it introduced. Um, and that's why I think also because Daniel was saying that the first tape is no different than the second tape. So they wanted to bring this guy up to help buttress that the second one is much better than the first one because he attacked it in opening and he attacked it on cross-examination of it. So we'll see what he does in his case in chief with uh, with Charlie on the stand. I think that's his major line of defense. And uh, Kelly has put up
1: the uh, birth and death dates of Daniel Eric Markell, October 9th, 1972 to July 19th, uh, 2014. So sad when you think of it. Um, Georgia Kaplman, to you, Stephen Webster, um, Agent Sanford from the uh, FBI was on the, uh, Special Agent Pat Sanford from the FBI is on the stand today. The first thing Georgia went to was this testimony that Wendy gave saying that she allowed unfettered access to the grandparents, Ruth and Phil, Ruth who's in this office right now. uh, That is what Wendy said on the stand he categorically denied that. He said it's not true. What do you make of that? Yeah, I heard that part
3: of her testimony, and I almost swallowed my tongue. I couldn't believe that she had the guts, to get up on the stand and tell that of a lie. And I'm so grateful to know that Georgia turned around and at least tried to, you know, clarify the record on that. It is preposterous. I mean, they changed the names. They they, they totally isolated the children from Phil and and Ruth, you know, and it was every, you know, it was pretty much widely accepted that the only reason why they started to open up some lines of communication was because of the fact that it looked, the optics were so terrible at a criminal trial. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, so basically as detestable as they are, even that, they can't even make that single gesture in good faith and, and have any sort of decency.
1: So, yeah, this is a lie, another lie. It's amazing how just sinister and deceitful people could be. I talked about that with Katie kool who's here uh, listening in on our conversation. A question from Schaefer James. Didn't Georgia and Rash get the judge to Tim, this is going to be for you. Didn't Georgia and Rash get the judge to approve allowing jurors to take notes on the transcripts the same as they would on their notepads? Does that change
2: them having transcripts in deliberation? That's a great point, because I heard them say that, and I heard um, him say he had no objections, rash bomb, as if they're taking notes. But at the same time, it was listed as demonstrative exhibit, and they were going to give an instruction. That, so I don't know if somehow they change and they're going to let them keep the transcripts. Uh, I would be amazed. I, I, that was something that's really important to figure out whether the transcripts are actually going back because they wrote notes on them. Because they weren't supposed to have transcripts and they added, and that was a motion in Lemony to keep transcripts out and it was granted. Now mm-hmm. Catherine Magbono, I got up there and she authenticated the transcripts. But I don't remember them overruling that. Maybe they did it at a sidebar, but I remember her saying that about you could write on the on the transcripts. So I guess it's unknown if they're going back, but I've never seen them go back.
1: By the way, I remember KCL's comment. I don't know why, but somehow my brain works in weird ways. Monica, the comment was on um, the, uh, I guess it's the Dolce Vita tapes, where Charlie says to Katie McBanala, he would have been at the airport already kcl says that that could be the most damning single piece of audio that he would have basically raced off to
4: the airport if he knew that they were coming for for
1: for him do you agree with that
4: i think it's damning but then i think the defense attorney is going to go but he didn't because look at he's going to face this foolishness he had no involvement this is this stripper slash dental hygienist that has extorted him with her baby daddy, and I'm just a terrible victim. Yeah. They'll cut it both ways.
3: Or if, if they had that kind of evidence on us, they'd have to be extradited just on a plane right now to the court, you know, to the
1: jail. Right?
3: Jake, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that defense attorney
1: can But By the way, you can do that. Yeah, the SPS has given uh, Wendy, of course, she called Dan Jibbers. They've now oh. given her the name Gibbers. They're now calling That's Wendy awesome. Austin. <laughs> Can
4: you that, tell us what gibbers means?
1: Does anybody know what that means? Judy? Isn't Judy would know
0: Like what a horse makes, like the sound that a horse makes. Is that what it
1: is? I I've never know. It was just a, a word that was.
4: Well, we thought it was disparaging. Yes,
1: yeah, it was a safe <laughs> word, but it was disparaging. It was used, obviously. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. I think it's a derivative of
0: gibberish.
1: Ooh, uh, derivative of gibberish. Interesting. Thank you. katie cool lady coming out a letter <laughs> yesterday good. it was uh, fancy fiction you couldn't see her today it's katie cool lady uh judy to you did they ask how katie knew the murder had taken place when secreto called to report no, they it didn't. done yeah, they why didn't. not mm-hmm.
0: because katie didn't remember that part when she spoke with georgia
1: Tim Jansen, anything else you would like to
2: add to that?
1: Why uh, Why not?
2: Listen, that was like the $24 million question. If they proffered Katie, they would have asked her. And if Georgia didn't ask her, it's because either the answer was bad or she didn't have an answer. So if she would have said, oh, because Charlie called me and said it was done, trust me, that would have been introduced in the trial.
1: Uh, by the way, NCS Nation, send me gift ideas for uh Tim Jansen. I brought him a bottle of bullet bourbon. That is not enough. So uh let me know. Maybe uh maybe a set of uh STS golf clubs. Let a, know cruise. a cruise. A cruise? We'll get cruise, on cruise my yes, by to <laughs> <I'm gonna> get <laughs> Jansen a cruise on his lake in his backyard. And that's the
4: uh <laughs> Lidocaine patches. Light cane patches.
1: <laughs> uh Hey Mona says does anyone know anything about Dan's this is for you, Steve Webster, about Dan's sons being aware of the family implications in their dad's murder? Do you know anything about the sons are doing? It? I, don't, I don't. Okay, that's that's a quick, short answer. I like that. So Monica Jordan, back to you. A big part of the back half of the day today, and we're gonna get see the cross from Danny bike. <laughs> that's funny.
2: Say so again, Tim? must get me a new mountain bike. My bike is fine. It's stronger than me.
4: It's on Facebook Marketplace.
2: Yes. Uh, Tim Jansen's mountain bike looks impeccable.
1: It's hard to believe that uh, he had an accident, uh, but he, uh, he in fact, did. We're trying to cycle some people in and out, Judy's saying. Ever the gracious human being, wanting to let John Steinbeck get back in, but uh, it's not to be. Uh, we will, uh, unless you guys want to switch out, yeah. uh, I think we're good. So, um, The jurors, these tapes, they play the maturity tape, the Dolce Vita tape. I don't know. I can't remember if we did maturity today because now my brain is so wiped out. But all the wiretaps that they went through today, the, there was an option for the jurors to put on their headsets. They all put them on. And I was watching them throughout this entire uh, playing of the Dolce Vita tapes. They leaned in. They had monitors right in front of them. They were leaning in the entire time like this. Even the juror that I sort of suck a little bit. What does it tell you that that, that kind of um, um, you know material audio, video, we you're talking about before had them so like enraptured in the moment in the They're
4: they're hyper focused. They're super engaged. This is great. This is great for the government. Typically, when it's a bad fact and we see that sitting on the defense side, Tim and I are like, oh shit, here we go. They're really zeroed in. Um, but for the government in this case, I think that's a huge win for them. It, it shows that they really want to concentrate. They want to hear, they're, they're looking at the screen. I think that's very important. Um, body language for, and, and positivity for the government's case.
1: Uh, here's a question for Steve Webster from Marianne Creighton. Why would Katie or her ex-husband, it was her baby daddy, technically, secreta Garcia, Want to kill a total stranger they never knew. Charlie's going away for the rest of his life and Donna should be worried she's next. I mean, the big question is here and I know you don't want to and I don't want to do this and I have said this countless times on the show. I think Daniel Rashbaum is a good attorney. I think he's a good person. He's got a very difficult job. But is this really bad defense? Should he have come up with a better
3: I literally, leading into the trial, would ask my wife's an attorney. And she's the smartest attorney I know. She was a prosecutor. Worked with Georgia back in the day. I would ask her, "What is their what What is going to be their theory of defense?" You know, I mean, what is it? And if you have a better one, then chime in on the comments. But you know, and at some point, we kind of have to go with what the client brings to you at some point. And you know, I have to. I can only surmise that Charlie and his family. This is what they have. You know, they brought forth to the attorneys as what happened. And so you know, he's going to present the evidence that his clients say is true and um but i you know it's it's a tough spot to be in people i mean you've already like monica said three people have already been convicted here and and now at this point two of those three have come clean and actually confirmed that what the government the state's been saying all along was true so it's a he had a it's a tough road
1: did you say your wife is the smartest attorney you know my father-in-law is an attorney too, works with ten. So I'm the third best attorney in my family. <laughs> uh, so not ten. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs>
4: well, what I was gonna say is, is that in this situation, if if they're gonna go forward with this extortion defense, it's almost like a self. I, my opinion, it's almost like a self-defense claim, and you have to put the client on in a self-defense. Um, but do you put Charlie on to to mm-hmm. tell this story because it's it's so disingenuous, it's so incredible that I find it a really tough sell um to be like we were like you said we we're so scared we're being extorted you come, you kill my brother or my brother-in-law and then you come and try and extort me there will be a race to the fbi's office i'll knock you down trying to get there that's what happened here and so i but like i said i think an extortion defense is very similar to self-defense and how, how do you sell that if the client doesn't get up and say that we're scared and we're being shaken down by these Horrible, horrible people that we were sleeping with.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is hilarious because, again, that goes right to what Stephen was saying earlier on uh, about Jeff McCaus and how Daniel Rashburn was hammering home. On this day, he didn't go to police. On this day, he didn't go to police. On this day, he didn't go to police, which is exactly what the Adelson didn't do for nine-plus years, including speak to authorities, uh, Harvey and Donna. Uh, Emily, uh, did they ask... Uh, how Katie knew the murder, Yeah, we had gone over that question, but thank you so much uh, for the sticker. Judy, uh, from Mrs. K, Lincoln's middle name is changed, uh, the name after Dan's relatives. That needs to be brought up. It doesn't fit with the fake safety narrative that they brought. Yeah. So that's interesting, but, Judy. But is Wendy, interesting.
0: Wendy's not the one I tried. So I think that's why it
3: wasn't such a big deal to focus on. Um, Steve, yeah, I mean, I, did, I wasn't even aware of that. Like I said, I'm a little bit in the dark on some of this stuff because I was under subpoena, So, but that's interesting.
1: Um, Schaefer James thanking us for answering our questions. That's what we are here to do. You've got the best guests on this trial and uh, happy to add Monica and, of course, Stephen Webster, who I just met, who I'm gonna get on. Now he got himself in mm-hmm. trouble. I'm going to get him on for other cases. We need attorneys all the time. Mix it up. Will you come on for other cases? Sure. Okay. We'll get your wife. We'll get your father-in-law. Over. Yeah. My whole uh, my whole job just got easier. Shout out
3: Louis Baptiste. Yeah, Louis, Louis Baptiste.
1: Baptiste. There you go. Uh, Hard from Scott. Harvey's 70th birthday has been a huge revelation, especially with the probable the two of us statement. Yes. Uh, that is interesting. Uh, that is something that I definitely... Uh, taken note of. So they play the bump and we're going to wrap in five minutes, get closing thoughts, and we're going to talk about whether or not Charlie's going to take the stand. We'll get everyone's take on that. But there were three calls back to back to back after the bump. Georgia couldn't have teed it up any better. Was this bump perfectly executed in terms of what the feds and law enforcement were looking to get out of?
4: I think so. I mean, it got a reaction the whole thing is the bump is to get things moving and they got things moving. I think it, you know, was it executed perfectly? Was the, you know, the sun in the right spot, who knows, but it did what it, it was intended to do. And that was to get them talking.
1: Uh, Nettie Daniel super sticker says when someone threatens to extort money from me, I not only, not only do I call the police, I meet up with them alone for lunch. <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, Steven Webster from ELF, is this a question? Yes, it is. When could Wendy find out about the extortion? This question's come up, I'm curious to get your take. So on the stand at 4.48 p.m. on whatever day she testified, because I can't remember. She said this was the first she was hearing about this extortion plot. So the question is, when could Wendy have found out about the extortion plot if she was not present for opening statements?
3: Well, if- my understanding of how that all transpired is that they did not invoke the rule of sequestration immediately. And, you know, the state has no real incentive to do that. And that's the rule that says the witnesses can't be in the courtroom to listen to the testimony right myself. And actually, when I showed up to the courtroom, or I heard early on they didn't invoke the rule, but I still didn't watch. Um, but my understanding is that that because of that, that they use that as their ploy. To have Wendy then listen to the opening statement. And so it's my understanding that's the first time she heard of it. And then I think it was after the first or second witness. I'm not sure. But then I think the lawyer broke the rule of sequestration. So I guess that's that's the spin and the gloss they put on that as to how she first found out. I mean, it seems totally remarkable. And my wife said that I didn't watch the other trials because I was under subpoena. But my wife said in one of the other trials, she actually, Wendy testified that she didn't watch any of the trials. I don't know if that's true or not.
0: The yeah.
3: Well, then why did she watch the opening over here and all this? Didn't Do you buy it? any of that? Do you think the family just glued to what's going on? Yeah. Maybe. But these people, as evil as they are, maybe. Maybe they're out, like, getting their nails done and stuff. Who knows?
4: Uh, that's
1: a good
3: question. I
4: love that comment that person made, if you're so terrified of being extorted. You go to lunch alone with the portion yeah, right. I hope I hope somebody feeds that to Georgia. That's a really that was a really that, great
1: comment. That's a, it's actually good writing. Good writing, um, Monica. To you, Charlie's own reactions to these calls and the, all the wiretaps are a problem. Someone tweeted that to me. And his own reactions. How much? Because I'm watching. <laughs> how much are the jurors watching to see how Charlie reacts? Because he, he looked always, he looked very annoyed. Always, he looked like he was a a rat that was caught.
4: Well, because I always tell clients, and Tim and and Stephen both know this. The last thing I want to see is a transcript on a a poster board or or some technology the size of the courtroom, listening to jail calls or some horrible thing that we're going to have to see again. He's reactionary for two reasons. He's going oh my God, I can't believe every syllable has been recorded. That's his first reaction. And then his other one is like, I'm I'm watching my life before my eyes. I'm going down. I. I'm, I that is going to be a, a horrible feeling. Uh, not as horrible as having a killer come up to you and shoot you in the head twice. But it's still, he's sitting in that courtroom and he's caught and there's nowhere to go. All eyes are on him and he's having to face, he's having to face this. And the jurors always watch this. We are constantly trying to educate clients on their behavior, their mannerisms. There's oftentimes I have them taking notes or doing something so that they're not super reactionary to whatever's going on in the court.
1: By the way, the COE with an amazing comment to those who joined us 12 hours ago, no wonder it just ran a marathon, not kidding, 12 hours ago, Tim, you're the. Next to Steve Cohen, you're the lowest paid employee of mine. And then comes my wife. Um, and have stayed with us all day. Thank you for being here. Y'all are beyond amazing. That is for the Tallahasseans, y'all. Um, final question, and then we'll get closing thoughts here. Judy, how close is the state to wrapping right
0: now? Um, good question. <laughs> <laughs> Witnesses, do you think would be needed
1: at this point? Tim Janssen, I think they're pretty close to the end of the list, right? Do you know? I think th-
2: I think they'll rest tomorrow. I think they're going to get the um, the wire calls where Katie's talking about the six five seven zero. Remember the, 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 how much it cost to go pay that bill? I think that's the only thing they haven't introduced. I don't know what else they'd introduce at this point.
0: Um, and been- I think
2: I think the state wants to rest by tomorrow. So they can't give the defense the weekend to prepare Charlie for his testimony and make him have to do it by Thursday or Friday.
1: Fascinating. See, like that to me is so interesting. because I would never think of that because I'm just a dumb news guy. MJ lives. I don't think he's alive anymore, but I like the name. And uh, we're going to get to your answer right now. He's asking, uh, anyone know if Charlie plans on testifying? Would he have to if the state calls him? Uh, Or could he decline? Thanks for all you do to bring justice. So let's wrap this up this way. Judy Tsang has her own YouTube channel, Asian American Legal Focus. She has been on this trial way before STS was. She does a great job at it. Judy, I already asked you what you're looking forward to. Will you see Charlie Adelson in person testifying this week? I think so
0: based on what Monica said.
1: <laughs> what about your legal expertise?
0: Well, I mean, I've always heard that criminal defense lawyers do not want their clients to testify if they're pretty sure they are guilty. I mean, that just opens them up to so much bad cross-examination. I think it's really, really risky for Charles. But he's so narcissistic that he may...
1: Insists
0: on testifying. So we probably will see him.
1: This is a good idea. Someone says I should put Tim's name on a plaque somewhere in Tallahassee. I think I'll put it on the side of Monica's house and see if she goes for that. Um, Monica Jordan. Tim, I can't believe I'm in the presence of Monica Jordan. Uh, Mm -hmm. Monica Jordan. Will we see, first of all, Meve Moen, Steve Cohen, and I were supposed to head back tomorrow do you think Charlie
4: will take the stand? I think if you're going to do like I said if you're going to do this extortion defense which is like self defense it t- typically in self defense you put the client on I don't think they're going to put him on. I just I think the risk is too great. Um it, it didn't help Katie. I mean I, I, everyone is salivating for him to take the stand. Um Tim and I have done a ton of trials together. I can probably think of on one hand where we, the client testified that it wasn't either he said, she said case or a self-defense case. And it's just not terribly successful. I just, I just don't think he's going to be, he's going to be able to pull it off. You can't pull it out in closing and you can't pull it out if you're lying on the stand of the jury.
1: Steven Webster, this guy's an egomaniac. He had a license plate, a uh, narcissist. It said maestro. Uh, does, he want, does he want to take the stand the <laughs>
4: narcissist.
1: <laughs> I didn't know that. So, he, so that's, the, that's where the maestro comes Yes, like, yes for his license plate. I think it was a Ferrari, right? Yeah. Ferrari? Yes. Yeah, so. Subtle. subtle, very subtle. <laughs> Do you think he takes the stand? And I guess if your answer is no for some reason, could the trial possibly be over this week? Yeah, I mean, if if he doesn't take the stand, I think just based upon
3: what Tim just said, that you know, it looks like looking at the witness list that they they kind of exhausted all their witnesses, then it would definitely be over. Um, I mean, let's see, charging jury instructions, charging conference for the city Tuesday. I mean, I think you could have closings on Friday, um, and nothing inspires a jury verdict like Friday at five o'clock. But um, you know, as far as in testifying, I I actually agree with everything that Monica just said. I. the 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 textbook says he has to testify at this point Um, but I get the impression that the attorney is trying to testify for him and good for him I mean he's 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 taking his chances where he can he's trying to get the narrative weave the narrative in into his questioning and I just don't think that you know my experience with you know people like this is that deep down he's a coward and he's not going to get on the stand and face either Sarah or Georgia cross-examining him, and I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he turns out not to be a coward and a fool instead, because I want to see him
1: wilt under their cross-examination. That would be fascinating. How would, if he is convicted, Monica Jordan, this is my last question, how would Charlie Adelson do in a state prison here in Northern Florida?
4: He will have wished they sought death that he would have gotten the death penalty. It's fine Because he would be in complete isolation. If, if on death row, he'd be in a six-by-nine cell um, in complete isolation. It, it, the Isolation is terrible, don't get me wrong, but the general population uh, now is far more terrible than we've seen it in decades before, just higher violence, higher contraband, higher drug addicts, mental illness, all the accoutrements we see out in the field and the roads uh, we see it exponentially increased in prisons in prison society. The other thing is, is that you have a lot of gang factions within the prison system. Yeah, that was my
1: next. Is he any sort of target for gangs? Oh,
4: I think so. I think so. Yeah, and and, and he's just not going to fare well. I mean, they'll they'll extort him. He's he's going to get shoved up. Yeah, down he, he's got money. I mean, he, he um, this is, a ter- this is a terrible situation. He's going to end up probably end up being in closed management or closed confinement or some kind of protective custody class. And that's terrible. That's a terrible... Do
1: you start to to loop? By the way, prison is my absolute number one biggest fear. It should be. That's
4: kind of how we have societal norms. I
1: guess I'm somewhat normal, but I don't think Charlie thought about it. Um, No,
4: he was the maestro there.
1: That gives me nightmares. Uh, fancy Fiction, saying hi in the message. That's because she's right here. Fancy, your thoughts on today in 30 seconds.
4: Charlie is toast, and I was watching the jurors, and what struck me the most is when he was talking about he would never be the 37-year-old Victoria's secret model. Mm. And I saw there's there's probably the four or five African-American women, and I saw probably four or five heads just look, and they all scared at Charlie, like the stuff that would be
0: wonderful. <laughs>
1: Eloquently said by uh, Fancy Fiction, someone, I don't know who it is, said, Joel, this is the Varsity Channel in response to my Fisher Price channel. I think we're pretty good when we're at our home base. I love being in Tim Jansen's office. I just have to get some better equipment for the road, and we're going to be covering more trials. Get a load of this. Tim Jansen and I were talking about, we've been all over the Brian Koberger, Idaho 4 uh, murder since they happened, and uh, we're planning to go outside. Idaho, so expect more trials from us. I cannot thank this panel enough. Again, I will say it again. I am in the presence of greatness in front of Monica Jordan. Tim Jansen ain't bad either. Tim, of course, is Tallahassee's most famous criminal defense attorney, next to all of Stephen Webster's family. Uh, You've got (laughs) Judy Tsang of Asian American Legal Focus, Monica, the best private investigator uh, in the country, and of course, Stephen Webster, who just took the stand in this very trial, that's why we go on location. So
2: with all that, thank hey, you. Hey,
1: okay. Joel. Hey, Can I,
2: can oh, I finish? Uh, Joel, I, I want to say thank you for bringing this to, to people. Um, the legal show, the show you give is the best. You got the best guest. I really want to thank you, and I'm honored, and I'm glad my partner opened up the office to Ruth um, to sign books. If that gives her any kind of soothing and comfort We are glad to do that for her. I know she doesn't want to go in some public place. So I'm happy that was there and there's friendly people there that can comfort her. Um, I do think he's going to testify. I think he has to testify. He has nobody else that can give the context. If he doesn't, he had no defense. His opening was a lie. And I think he's going to testify. I I really do. Uh, But thanks again, Joel, for coming. Thank you for hosting.
1: Tim, thank you for letting us use the office. Thank you for doing this all day. Now that I did this to you last night, I'm going to do it again. Do you want to uh, take over uh, commentary duties once again tomorrow? You can be able to do that?
2: I've got doctor's appointment in the morning. I can do the afternoon.
1: Tim will be there in the afternoon. We'll see if we'll get someone in the morning, but no one can really replace Tim. So there might just be some streaming coverage tomorrow. And then, uh, obviously, if Charlie takes a stand, we're going to be all over. Thank you to Roxanne A. who says thank you, STS. Until tomorrow, we'll be live streaming starting 8.45 a.m. Love you, America. Love you, Therian Show, Tallahassee.
2: Everywhere, America, far in between. Until tomorrow.
6: Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and...